Hello, good afternoon, and welcome to CIO Leadership Live. I'm Mary Fran Johnson, your host for this episode and a contributing columnist on CIO.com, where I write about boardroom strategy and business issues. Twice a month, we produce CIO Leadership Live with the gracious support of my colleagues at CIO.com and also the CIO Executive Council. We're streaming live right now onto LinkedIn and Twitter, and we welcome any of our viewers who are joining us today to join the conversation and send in your questions. We will be watching for those, and I'll be sure to be passing them along to our guest. We'll also uh, let me get into introducing my guest today. He is Vipin Gupta, who is the CIO and Group VP at Toyota Financial Services. Vipin is responsible for all aspects of IT at Toyota Financial, which is headquartered in Plano, Texas. He's also in charge of the digital transformation activities that have been going on across the company for the last few years. He joined the company two years ago and reports into the president and CEO of Toyota Financial Services. TFS is the finance and insurance line arm of Toyota and its Lexus brand. As a captive financial business, it provides retail and wholesale financing, leasing, and other financial services to dealers and customers. The U.S. division of TFS employs about 3,300 people and has about $120 billion in assets. It is part of a global network of TFS operations across 36 countries. Before he joined Toyota Financial two years ago in July of 2018, Vipin spent 10 years in various IT and business leadership roles at U.S.-based regional banks. He was most recently CIO for Key Community Bank, which is a business unit of KeyBank, and he led both tech and business operations functions while there. Prior to that, he spent 15 years of his career in consulting before moving into the banking and financial services industry. He was a partner and a practice leader at Ernst & Young and Capgemini, where he worked on multi-year transformation projects with firms such as Merrill Lynch, Bank of America, and J.P. Morgan Chase. Thanks so much for joining me again today, Vipin. It's nice to see you. It's been a while since we talked. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a pleasure, Mary Fran to join CIO Leadership Live again. Yes, and I'm saying the again because it was a, a little over a year ago that we did a similar interview and talked about a number of ongoing digital transformation efforts that you had that we're going to get all caught up on. So this is, this is fun. Let's start by talk, tackling the biggest topic that is on everybody's minds today, of course, the both the business and the personal disruptions that we're all dealing with in the global pandemic. Talk to me at the top of the hour here about the impact that COVID-19 has had on Toyota's finance business and, of course, on its customers since we, I guess, we're five months into now this I don't like calling it the new reality because I'm kind of hoping it will just be the new abnormal for a while. But uh, fill me in on what things have been like for you. Yeah, so COVID-19 uh, has caused a significant disruption, both in our personal lives as well as business lives, as you know. Uh, we at uh, Toyota Financial Services have been very disciplined uh, in our business continuity planning, but we were not prepared for a crisis like this. We did not anticipate a scenario where every member of our team has to work from home for a long period of time. And not just our teams, but our customers and dealers and our partners too. Mm -hmm. So when COVID situation escalated, there was naturally an impact, obviously, to our auto business, which is recovering quickly and strongly. Mm -hmm. But on financial services, financial services side, our attention immediately went to our customers and our dealers. Mm -hmm. So during such tough financial times, our customers need our help the most. At Toyota Financial Services, our goal is to offer them relief and help to get them through such crisis. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we immediately provided some payment relief options to hundreds of thousands of our customers who have been affected by COVID-19. Eligible customers were able to take advantage of payment extensions and or deferred payments to support our dealers, we temporarily reduced rates. We uh, deferred interests and deferred payments. Our mm -hmm. bank processed hundreds of payroll protection program application for our dealers, 
protecting thousands of jobs at their businesses. So in such difficult times, we shine, we deepen the relationship with our customers and dealers. In this big Toyota ecosystem, TFS, the Toyota Financial Services, plays an important role in supporting our customers, partners and dealers, not only in good times, but more so in such, such uh, tough times. And we were able to respond quickly and strongly to provide this financial relief and support to our customers and dealers just in time. Well, and as you're doing that sort of response, and I think that that's a, a great aspect, especially in the early months of the pandemic, that a lot of companies step up to that. But of course, then there's a longer tail where you have to figure out what do we do next and what does the next phase look like? Have you had those sorts of discussions yet at TFS and have has anything significantly changed in the way you are helping customers uh, right now as we move into this next period of it? I, I guess I'm kind of thinking of COVID in six month chunks. You know, there's the, the March through September period where companies have had to do various things. And then as we get into the fall, things will change again. What do, what's your thinking on that? Yeah, so COVID-19 crisis, as everyone knows, has been unprecedented. Mm -hmm. And I would say this has definitely is reshaping our business continuity planning, not mm -hmm. for just our customers and dealers for our internal processes as well. Mm -hmm. So while we had practiced many scenarios, we didn't rehearse a scenario like this one. No, no. Everyone will have to stay home, work from home for a prolonged period of time. So this is not a typical local crisis. This is a national at a, at a national and a global scale. Mm -hmm. The COVID-19 pandemic reminds us how challenging it is to prepare for a systemic risk which impacts entire industrial economy. So lessons from this crisis are going to shape the businesses of future. Mm -hmm. And just like many others, we learned our lessons too. There's two areas, for example, that I, I can talk about is one is we have a deeper understanding of the safety controls, especially around infectious disease threats. And we updated our business continuity plan to add protocols and controls with increased training efforts for our team members and partners, which will then in turn help us serve our customers and, and dealers as well. Second interesting uh, aspect of this impact was on IT front especially this idea of the IT supply chain, or we should call it a digital supply chain. Mm -hmm. So this event made us realize the intensity of interdependencies across our IT partners. So over the years, the links in the chain of IT services have grown in complexity mm -hmm. and in scope, uh, especially with externally hosted services. There are more globally distributed teams. There are more variety of suppliers these long complex supply chains in IT are now even more critical, especially as we become more and more digital. And, and COVID-19 has only accelerated digital. So today our workforce, our customers, our partners interact more and more often with our technology solutions, even more than people. So we are a software company now powered by people. So mm -hmm. every link, and the interdependencies across this digital supply chain needs to be fully understood and planned for. Mm -hmm. So we are very disciplined and we thoroughly understand the manufacturing supply chain. And we now we are gonna bring the same discipline to IT supply chain or the digital supply chain where we are going to expand the scope of business continuity planning to include suppliers beyond just our third parties. So yeah. this, these are the things that we are doing internally to strengthen our business continuity planning, to strengthen our response and recovery to help uh, serve our customers and dealers even more and better uh, next time. Well, and that's such a great point too, that no one could have foreseen a crisis like that. And the, even the word crisis implies that it's something short-term that you figure out how to deal with it and then you move forward. But this is such, um, um, what is it? One CIO called it a master class in business continuity. There's so much that is being learned as everyone goes through this process. Um, you'd mentioned too that you feel like you're, that especially CIOs are getting to a place where you have a better understanding of what this looks like and what 
what the new priorities are. So talk a little bit about some of those, um, not just lessons from business continuity planning, but in, in terms of the way you move forward, are there areas on your priority list as the CIO that have now kind of shifted a little bit higher? Um, maybe they're change efforts that you thought would take X number of months and now you do them in a number of days. Yeah, so a couple of things. I think one is from a prioritization perspective. Uh, one thing is very clear. Digital is not new anymore. Digital is normal. We are all digital now. Even when we are at a physical location, we are all interacting in a contactless way. So our mm -hmm. customers are expecting different kind of capabilities for us. So first, digital kind of connected us through social media. Now it's connecting us through social distancing. So our customers and partners expect digital capability, which are contactless and in across all the interactions, we have now doubled down our efforts to deliver more digital solutions across our channels. Mm. We are moving beyond omni-channel to what we call as on my channel. Our focus is to design experiences on how our customers want, what their customers, what our customers want on their preferred channel. We call it a customer chosen experience mm -hmm. on his or her channel, whether it is in a car, a dealership, or on their couch. So our dealers are selling cars now without customers having to come to dealership, shopping, buying, contracts, payments. All these processes can be now done digitally and paperless. Almost every aspect of car buying, mm -hmm. return or resale is shifting towards a digital contactless experience. Yes. So now even more than before, our customers are expecting more self-service, more contactless, more paperless. So what's happening is this is naturally becoming a priority for us. It was always a priority, but COVID crisis has pushed the priority even forward. And our customers expect us to bring financing, insurance, and payment services together to create a holistic mobility experience. So we are focused on creating better digital self-service, contactless, customer chosen experiences for our dealers and customers. So that's one shift in priority that has happened because of the lessons learned from the COVID crisis and because of the expectation shift by our customers and dealers. Yes. And well, there is other aspect of this, is, which is largely internal on how we are changing the experience for our workforce as well. Well, and it's, it's interesting. You know how over the last couple of years, CIOs have all been very familiar with the Amazon effect the fact that customers want and expect certain things when they're buying anything through a digital channel. And a lot of that was led by what Amazon has done. I wonder if we're not going to essentially see a similar familiarity and an expertise with digital that becomes the COVID effect, you know, where when you are in a whole new situation that everyone's adapting to. Um, I think that especially IT organizations that have been in the midst of enormous digital transformations over the last few years are really going to reap a lot of benefits from that. It sounds like you're reaping some of those right now. Yeah, and uh, uh, I, I said because of the digital transformation and now acceleration of digital transformation through COVID, mm -hmm. the role of technology and technologist has elevated in any business. Our business definitely, uh, the and which changes which further creates uh, a need for us to drive change at a different speed altogether. And that's what we have been doing. And, and it's also interesting as we talk, think about this COVID-19 crisis impacted everyone, uh, as, as we just talked about. It also impacted our workforce. And we, we had to immediately take care of our customers and dealers, for which we had to immediately take care of our workforce that was servicing our customers, especially in our uh, customer service centers and dealer service centers. Mm -hmm. And so talking about speed, and this is the kind of speed that is needed for a digital business. So we issued new laptops to all our contact center teams, trained them rapidly, implemented a completely new call routing system to route calls to their remote locations. Mm -hmm. so fortunately, we were in the middle of a development of a cloud-based call routing system, but it was planned to be rolled out in nine months and we pivoted and accelerated the implementation in nine days. We were able to service and support our customers, dealers, without meeting, uh, missing a beat, mm -hmm. especially when they needed us most. In just two weeks, we had an entire organization working from home 
with no interruption. By the way, while all this was happening, we also launched our first private label business, Master Financial Services, on mm -hmm. 1st of April in the middle of the lockdown. This was done at an unprecedented speed. Instead of initially forecasted 18 months, we launched it in seven months. When I look back, I feel that we were very fortunate. Yeah. We had established a new operating model, which is a factory-based operating model by the time COVID-19 crisis escalated. Yes. We had already found a groove in delivering software at a dramatic speed. We were already focused on our transformation, which got accelerated. And this crisis only gave us more confidence in our operating model, more confidence in our strategy, and pushed us further to look for reducing waste to improve IT economics. Yes. So overall, this crisis has not only accelerated the digital transformation, it has accelerated IT transformation, and it's going to also accelerate the customer experience transformation. Yes. Well, and that was uh, I, the, 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 the big driver for us getting back together again today to talk about the progress you've made. Because last year when we spoke about this, you were essentially just getting this underway. And it was what I find was not just changing the speed of the organization, but shifting the entire focus to become a digital platform company. I think that that's probably one of the most innovative and fascinating aspects of what you're doing there. Um, let's get in. You mentioned that you had the April launch of Mazda Financial Services. And let's talk about what made that possible and also put that in perspective, because as many of our, our viewers and our listeners may be aware, Mazda is actually a competing car brand to Toyota and Lexus. And yet you are essentially managing and running um, the financial services arm of Mazda off of the platform that you've been creating. Uh, take us back to the beginning and walk us through that a little bit about how that came to be. Yeah, there's a great story and a great partnership that we have at Mazda. Mm -hmm. So since you and I last spoke last year, we have uh, built a completely new platform from ground up with modern digital multi-tenant, multi-brand architecture. With yeah. Completely new API store, completely new data supply chain. And Mazda Financial Services is our first tenant, first client, first private label business on this multi-tenant platform. Mm -hmm. We're changing the captive auto finance model into a multi-tenant auto finance business where other brands can leverage our platform to launch their financial services business. And that's exactly what our partnership with Pasta is. And it has been going really great. So being, uh, being a, by the way, being a platform business is an important part of our strategy to revolutionize our business and be a digital company. A digital company, we are, as, a, as a digital company, we are focused on being a mobility company, being an agility company, and a platform company. So uh, let me explain what that means. So mobility company means we offer new products and services beyond traditional lending capabilities mm -hmm. to support other capabilities that come with connected cars and other mobility services. Mm -hmm. Agility company means we are changing our underlying behaviors to be fast flexible and lean and platform company means we are platform for auto and mobility finance business where other brands and companies will use our digital services selectively or use our platform as a private label business mm -hmm. so that's how we launched Mazda financial services on first of april in seven months we beat our initial estimates of 18 months mm -hmm. to talk about speed not only this was delivered with amazing speed it was delivered with high no critical issues were launched. Yeah. And it was delivered at a much lower cost than estimated. Totally different economics. Mm -hmm. So in addition to using this multi-tenant platform architecture, we're completely reimagining how software is assembled using a digital factory-based model. We're mm -hmm. completely reimagining enterprise IT and IT economics by challenging the old ways of IT, looking beyond the current trends of Agile, Scrum, DevOps, so we are rethinking every aspect of uh, IT. And that's how we are able to get uh, something like Master Financial Services launched at this dramatic speed. Well, and, and let's also delve into when you say digital factory, that's actually a model that you've created and it's 10 person working groups 
essentially that this is how IT has been reorganized. It, when you say digital factory, you don't mean that it's like robotic process automation on a line manufacturing cars. I think when you say digital factory, a lot of people might think of a factory that's all digitally operated, but this is actually a software engineering factory. Explain, go into that a little bit more. You have 75 up and running of these digital factories, these 10-person groups. Um, talk a, a little bit about that to make sure that we're distinguishing what you mean by digital factory from what might be in the, the common mind of, uh, of all of us out there or even other IT professionals. Yeah, it's uh, a great point. And uh, so just to give a little bit more context, we are, as I said, we are completely reimagining the way IT is structured. Mm -hmm. And we are looking at it all the way from the demand management to the software engineering, to the delivery of the software, to the technology operations, literally starting afresh with a day one mindset as if we were born today. And that's our digital transformation approach to reimagine our business and technology as if we were born today to grow our business in multiples, but we will do this without proportionately growing our technology expenses. So our mm -hmm. purpose and mission are clear. And so as we embarked on this reimagining of IT, we found our answer in our manufacturing routes, the Toyota production system. So Toyota production system is known all over the world and has been practiced by many, many manufacturing and non-manufacturing businesses. As I learned more about our automotive business, I found that the principles and methods of Toyota production system applies really well to the software systems. But the key is to see software system like a tangible product, like a product that you can touch and feel. Yes. And to reimagine IT, we have to see the world of IT in products and not projects. So that was the starting point of this transformation. And as I've mentioned last time also, in financial services business, we do not manufacture products in a traditional sense. We build capabilities and experiences. So software is our product. And just like tangible products have a factory, each software product has a factory. Each business capability has a factory. And Toyota is known for building cars using uh, Toyota production system. And we took the same principles same practices that we apply in manufacturing plants. We blended it with agile and scrum practices and created standards to build a digital factory-based operating model where we build software using a factory-based concepts and principles. Mm -hmm. And there was a whole restructuring that we had to do to get to that because we are so ingrained in our old ways of doing work, which is largely very projects-oriented where Projects will build the software, but then the application support teams are supporting and maintaining the software. Here we have to rethink the whole process. So we said we're going to address it three steps. And the goal was very simple, to increase the speed, to reduce the waste, and to change the economics of IT. So not only we're trying to change the speed, we're changing economics as well. So first, what we did was we just stopped all the project-based organization structure that we had. We defined products that cover all aspects of DNA. And for each product, then we set up a digital factory with clear framework and standards. So now we don't have traditional IT projects. What we have is a set of factories for each software product, many digital uh, product factories, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Second step was we redefined the accountability. And this was really, really important. Mm. We redefined the accountability from traditional build so building the software versus maintaining the software or projects versus application support. We said in digital product factory, digital product factory owner is accountable for the entire product lifecycle. Plan, build, maintain, not just plan or build. And, yeah. and maintenance and fixes will also flow with the factory. The factory owners are fully empowered to drive prioritization, interdependencies, and sequencing of work. So the role of factory owner, just like in a manufacturing plant, becomes really, really important. Hmm. And the third step, which really took us to the next level, was we changed our IT budget allocation approach from projects to products. Mm -hmm. our business capability, so concept is very, the philosophy behind this is a business capability always needs some enhancement and improvement. There is no shortage of demand every year. It's continuous. So instead of approving 
these variety of projects, large and small, every year, building and rebuilding the teams, what we did was we created a fixed-sized factory team. A factory team with a fixed size for as long there's a demand. So factory owners will pull the demand in small batches, build and deliver in short spreads. So with this approach, we can very accurately forecast exactly what this is going to cost us every day, every month, every year. Mm-hmm. So, and this approach also helped reduce a lot of stress that our teams used to have. They don't have to hunt for the next project every year. They're part of the same product team and they're going to deepen their expertise on that product. So there's no need for this old style project-based funding allocation with all the stress and the overheads associated with it. Give us this a- not sound very simple, I'm what- very frank, but it is a lot of hard work to get to the simplicity. Oh, I'm I'm sure. I'm sure because I think we're we're all probably we're all trying to get our minds around that. I wonder, could you give us a specific example of what a factory team looks like? Like, what is it assigned to do, and what sort of skills do you need? Are all seventy-five of the digital factory teams essentially a set of the same capabilities and skills, or are they at in different areas. Um, just give us a more specific example of one. I think that would help. Yeah, uh, and um, so if you think about it, the uh, factory team is uh, very similar to say a soccer team, mm-hmm. uh, where you have all the roles in the factory, in the soccer team, just like uh, it is in the factory team. So we have business analysts, programmers, uh, quality analysts, designers, etc. The key is to create a fixed team for a product. Start with factory number one. And as the demand grows for that product, as the input into the factory grows, and if this factory is not able to keep pace with output, what we do is we add another factory. And this is really, really important. We're not adding resources by one or two. We're adding resources in sets of the factory. It's like adding another assembly line. And that team of 10, a team of, uh, like, like a soccer team, as I said, they're adding more and more of those soccer teams. The complete teams are always complete. They're whole. They have all the roles that is needed to engineer the software. And it's it's really interesting. There was an example, and I can uh, relate to this. When, when we were still in the project-based model, uh, we had an interesting uh, initiative that we had to complete in nine months. It was absolutely must-do initiative that we had to complete. And... Uh, and we had only nine months to complete. In a typical project estimation fashion, uh, initial estimate came to be very high. It was 10 to $15 million. Mm-hmm. And it was typically based on the prior projects. And we look at the prior projects and based on that, we say, okay, this is the estimate of this particular project. And so uh, what we did was in normal course, we would have approved the project because it was important, it was critical, and it seemed logical. And uh, we would have just engaged the team, we would have engaged the suppliers, we would have gathered requirements. But the challenge is the requirements were at a very high level and it could swing significantly, which is very common in a lot of these large uh, initiatives. And we would have run the project the old way, we would have consumed all the estimated budget and may have needed more. So and instead of approving that project, I, we recommended an alternative approach. We said, how about, I conceptually, what we are doing here is we are adding a capability to TFS, which basically means we're adding a product in our ecosystem. So instead of having a project, let's assign this product a product team and start with the first factory for this product, the fixed capacity. But we will assign the factory owners with full authority to prioritize and drive the work within the framework of factory model. But we said there are three conditions. The first is, that factory will deliver only the most essential items first, and they will deliver them only in that sequence. Hmm. The second condition was the factory team will only pull those items that are well-defined and ready items. So no more wasting of resources, waiting or churning or requirements that is not well-defined. And then the third, this is important, just like I said, we are not going to add resources one or in ones or twos, we are going to add a resource. If you need more resources, the mm-hmm. demand outpaces the ability to deliver, we will add one more factory. And don't worry about it. We'll keep adding more and more factories yeah. if there is truly an essential demand that is ready to be delivered. 
And so my hypothesis was that we will not need more than one factory for this kind of initiative. Uh, because the waste is not in building or delivering the software. Most of the waste in IT is in defining what to do and in what sequence. To do. Yes. Software engineering is relatively easy. Yeah. So that hypothesis also in, also in working with the business that is usually there's a lot of uh, IT teams have a business relationship manager or someone who is essentially doing a kind of translation function from what the business is trying to get and how can we deliver that. Um, I'd love to hear how that those relationships have changed with your digital factories. Because you know how business people would do that. They would find someone who is a special friend uh, on the software engineering team. And every time they wanted something, they would go to that one person. So you've changed, I imagine, a lot of the relationship models here as well. Yeah, so one uh, the, the powerful aspect of this is this change, this product orientation that I'm talking about was not done just in IT. It has been done across the organization. Oh. Because in a, in a digital business, this boundaries between what is business and what is IT is have dramatically blurred. So what we did was when we created these product teams, they are basically business product teams. Mm -hmm. For each factory, there are two owners. And two owners, one brings the technology expertise, the other person brings the business expertise. And no one is subordinate to other. They have equal decision rights, equal accountability on the decisions that are made in the factory. What requirements are pulled, what are delivered, and what sequence, and how they're designed. The factory owners, this two-in-the-box model has been super powerful for us because it has changed the behaviors. It has changed the relationship. It has changed the trust. The so time and trust are the biggest waste in IT in most companies. Mm -hmm. And so for us to drive that, what's really important through this pairing of business and technology, it's very difficult to find individuals who are really strong on both business and technology understanding of the product. So this is the approach that we took to compensate for that gap, creating these pairs and these pairs will always show up together in these various meetings or discussions that we have around those products. And okay. that has shifted the traditional business IT relationship kind of a model to now a joint ownership of all the digital products. Interesting. Interesting. Has that, um, and you'd mentioned that this is an essentially a very broad restructuring of IT. Now that the team size we're talking about here for the IT aspect of TFS, I'd mentioned earlier, it's about 3,300 employees around the world. About 2,200 of those are both technology experts and also your partners and outside companies that you work with. How it must have been an interesting, an interesting run-up getting everybody aligned to this new model. Um, because you didn't, you didn't just chuck out your entire legacy systems. You had to essentially move to this model. I'm, I'm trying to understand just in a people sense how you, how you pull off something like this. Yeah, I think um, uh, a lot of this is because we really got a very, very good support from across the organization. There was an initial skepticism around a change like this. But I think a lot of this is it goes back to uh, what we were trying to do. Our purpose was much bigger. We were not trying to just do an IT transformation. Okay. But fundamentally, uh, we are rebuilding our business to be a digital business. Uh, for that, we had to not only restructure IT, but we had to rethink what digital means in our context. And that's what uh, that's when we uh, when we started looking at that and looking at our kind of this underlying economics of IT. And that became the bigger driver. Once everyone started to see the value in what this is bringing in terms of speed and in terms of realizing the business value early, there was a lot of support that we got. So okay. this is just to give you like, like a little bit of a context. When, uh, we, we, when we looked at a couple of uh, years back uh, when I had just joined and we were looking at the overall economics of IT, so our goal is very simple. We're going to grow our business, but we are not going to grow our IT cost proportionately. So we said, okay, we're going to keep our IT budgets flat. So how do we do that? We have to fundamentally change the way we think about IT. So 
So we set a very aggressive goal. We used to spend about, I would say two thirds uh, of uh, our budget will go into really growing the business. Oh, sorry, two thirds will grow in maintaining and running the business, doing a lot of fixes, a lot of basic updates, risk management, compliance, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So the goal is to flip that ratio. And to flip that ratio again, uh, where we found our answer was in our manufacturing roots and Toyota production system. Okay. Fundamentally, what we have to do is to we have to rethink and reduce the waste in IT because as we reduce the waste, that reduction frees up capacity for growing the business. So in Toyota production system, hmm. uh, we define a capacity as work plus waste. So, so let me repeat this because this is important. So present capacity is equal to work plus waste. So true efficiency comes when we produce zero waste. So as you look for areas to reduce this waste, to create this capacity, what we did was we chose a little bit more difficult path. Instead of just reducing the manpower or replacing the systems, we focused on changing the way we work, our behaviors, our structures, our methods. The hypothesis was that most of our waste is in the way we work, our methods and structure. And to create capacity, we focused on what I'll call as three most important resources, mm-hmm. time, talent, and trust. Ah. I didn't say the word technology here because yeah. that will happen if, because underlying that the waste is not in the software engineering itself. There is, but not as much. The bigger waste is in time, talent, and trust. And trust and talent creates speed. Speed creates time. Time creates capacity by activating value sooner and reducing cost. So speed became a key theme for our restructuring approach. The speed of engineering, mm-hmm. using this product-oriented digital factories to eliminate waste in a project-based approach. Speed of collaboration, using standardization of behaviors to eliminate waste and variation of practices and routines. We are building one digital ecosystem. We are not building many systems. And that was a real rallying cry to push towards this collaboration. Mm-hmm. The third is speed of decision-making by pulling our top executives into agile routines to change the speed of decision-making from the top of the organization because speed of the boss is the speed of the team. Yes, true. These are these three structural changes are changing the game for us. And we're delivering more, we're delivering better quality products. We're realizing the value earlier without growing our IT budget. Mm -hmm. And we're rapidly changing our this grow and run ratio. And to me, this is setting a really strong financial foundation for growing our business to be a digital business because IT economics is critical as we think about the future of our business, which is becoming a digital business. Yes. Well, and we have a question from uh, one of our alert watchers out there uh, today. Thank you. If you are just joining us, I'm here talking with CIO Vipin Gupta, who is with Toyota Financial Services. And we are talking about a very fascinating and different way to look at IT economics and the way IT teams work together and creating this digital factory model that uh, TFS is using so successfully right now. The question for you, Vipin, from our audience is the mention of the factory team size of 10 people. Have you experimented with optimizing team sizes in the digital factories? Do you ever find that you don't need all 10 people? That's a great question. Uh, and that's exactly what we do. As part of this, again, going back to our roots of the production system, continue to eliminate waste. That's what we do every day. Continue to optimize, continue to look for those opportunity and continue to improve. So as we optimize these factory teams and as we standardize, and this is really, really important, we are finding there are opportunities to further optimize this team. They do not have to be 10. 10 is the max. Not every factory has to 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and which is very, uh, is, I'm glad that you asked this question because natural tendency is when you say there's a 10 person team, our natural tendency is to take all 10. And that's, but for us, that's the max. And so we build these teams, we mm-hmm. continue to optimize. And then, then we find these roles in these factories 
that do not have to be by each factory. They could be applied fractionally across factories, oh, a group of factories. So uh, For example, we have, uh, now we have some products. If the products are all related to say, let's call it uh, lending related uh, capabilities, we don't need a product designer in every factory. A product designer could be for the group of factories for all lending related factories. I see. That's one way to optimize it further. So we'll continue to optimize it. The key here is we optimize the factory teams to be super efficient and fast. And then we scale them through the standardization and by adding more and more factory teams for that product, if the product needs to be. Now, um, excellent. And we have another good question from our audience. How do you manage the integration of these factories toward a common objective? That's a great question. Again, I think as you think about this, uh, on one hand, factory teams help us. On the other hand, factory teams will make it more complicated. But the key <laughs> is to start with this idea that we are building one ecosystem. An enterprise is one system, not multiple systems. And in factory, think about these products, they are getting assembled to build this one big mega product called enterprise. And every two weeks or every weeks when the software is released, they all come together for this one common purpose. And that is how we drive this idea that we will all work towards this one common goal and the interdependencies are managed on, on a continuous basis across these products. And the beauty is because the product teams are durable. It's the same product teams. We are not popping up new project teams. We know exactly how many products make up our business. We know exactly who are the factory owners for these products or the product owners. And those product owners are interacting each other across the enterprise. And for that, we have created, and this may sound a little counterintuitive to the agile purist, but we have created enterprise-wide routines, enterprise-wide scrum, or enterprise-wide leadership action uh, team structures that are driving this uh, interdependencies. And the question that we ask in that those meetings is not about statuses, not about red, green, yellow uh, uh, status around the projects or the products. The simple question that we ask is, you all know your goal and what's coming in your way. Just let's talk about impediments. And the goal is for each other to remove the impediments. That's the only goal. And that's how we manage interdependencies. And what I found is this has also created what I'll call as an enterprise empathy. When all these groups are sitting together, all the product teams are sitting together, they not only get to know their own products and, and products next to them, but they're getting to know of the products and the businesses that they would have never interacted in an old model. Right. And this way, they get to know the entire business. They get to know the interdependencies and they're able to connect better with the business. And this empathy is what creates trust, is where the collaboration starts to happen. Mm -hmm. That's how we're managing that interdependencies across these product factories. That is fascinating. And, and, and I tend to hear the word empathy a lot more these days, but it, 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 doesn't, get, <clears throat> it doesn't get applied on an enterprise-wide basis that way. It's usually we're talking about empathy and the communication and the new arrangement with everyone working from home. We have another question because I, I think the audience is as interested in this, this digital factory method as I have been. To what extent does data analytics play a role in the effort for improving efficiency at TFS? And does data analytics play a big role in some aspect of your digital factories as you're determining them? <clears throat> Again, a great question. Uh, so data and analytics is an integral part of any digital business. There is no business that is digital without data and analytics. Mm -hmm. And as we designed this kind of a new operating model and this new architecture that I re referenced earlier, data was uh, absolutely the key piece of it. And actually we started from there. We started from two sides of the story. One was the data supply chain on how the data flows from all the operational systems all the way to analytics in a coherent way. And in a way that where data is not pushed by the operating systems to this common enterprise supply chain, but data is pulled into the supply chain and then delivered to analytics. That's the vision, that's what we start. And we call it a data supply chain, which is an underlying data platform. And in the front, we put an API store, which is 
how do you distribute the data and make these systems get to the data that is needed? So even if we have these insights through the data, through analytics, they have to be delivered to the channels. And that's where APIs come into play. And that's how we thought about this. That was the core, the backbone of our new architecture. And then we built these new systems uh, uh, on top of that base for uh, the, the backbone. Interesting. The um, One of the things we talked about last time we spoke about it, just as you were getting the digital factories underway, that there's a very key role in all of this because it's not just, as you said, IT, it's actually all of Toyota Financial Services. Your TFS, you have a digital academy and everyone at the company is in some way or another a graduate of the Digital Academy. I, tell, tell us a little bit about that educational and training effort that you do internally at TFS. Yeah, so we last year, about 18 months back or so, we launched uh, a TFS Digital Academy. There were mm -hmm. uh, primary purpose was this idea is that if for a digital business, everyone in the business needs to be digitally savvy not just technologists, the, the, the responsibility of harnessing the power of software is not just for IT. It's everyone's job in a digital business. So that's where how we launched our DFS Digital Academy with that purpose and mission in mind. And then we created this slightly different approach, which was this not a training center, it is a learning and teaching center where we will teach each other. We have enough experts in our organization can connect and help teach each other on various topics that will lead us to be a digital business. And then we also found a really important purpose for this because as I said, our transformation is largely focused on changing the underlying behaviors, changing the underlying standards. And Academy became a way to drive those standards, to coach everyone, to follow those standards because more we follow those standards. Again, I'm talking in Toyota production system language here. More we drive those standards, more we create common behaviors, more lift we get in speed and value. And then our goal here is ultimately to get to a place where we can start automating almost every aspect of IT. For that, we need standardized behaviors and standardized methods. And Academy became a way for us to train and coach everyone. And when I say everyone, I do mean not only uh, the employees of TFS, but we also include our supplier partners as well. Because if you are part of the factory team, it doesn't matter whether you are from IT department or any other department of TFS or any other supplier, you're part of the factory team and factory team has to learn and will be coached uh, together in this academy. Do you think, is this a model that is portable to other industries, or I, I can see how uh, it works as a software engineering digital factory for a finance business. And of course, that's a lot of your background coming out of the banking industry. Do you, I guess, do you know of any other industries or companies that do something like this, or is it portable to other industries and businesses? I believe it is very portable. I think a lot of companies are already using Agile. They're already moving into product orientation. I think this is not dramatically new. I think what is new about this is to take that idea of Agile and product orientation and applying this manufacturing concepts that toward a production system and the other create that blend and bring this factory discipline, the manufacturing discipline. And then most importantly is changing the underlying financial structure on how we fund these initiatives, how we fund these projects. So once that was done, I think it is scalable, it is done. The hardest part is to change the behaviors, to create the standardized behaviors and to change the underlying financial structures. And that's where I think most of the companies struggle. But this model, in my view, is fully scalable. It all depends on how the companies define what a product is and the number of products may be different based on the size of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, outside of the business, but the methods applied to build and maintain those products can, are absolutely portable across any industry, in my view. Well, and, and I thought that probably the most startling and interesting part that we had talked about earlier was how this makes the entire IT budgeting process obsolete. It changes it to a new conversation. Uh, explain that in a little bit more 
uh, more detail. The idea of you don't worry about the IT budget. It, that sounds like something that happens in a fantasy land for most CIOs. So how does the IT budget itself make the metamorphosis that goes along with this move to the digital factory approach? Yeah, so I won't call it we don't have to worry about the IT budget. I think what we have, we don't have to worry about the IT budget in a traditional project-based way. Okay. I think that is what changes. And, and But it has to start from a bigger purpose, bigger goal. As I said, our bigger purpose was to fundamentally transform or flip the ratio of how much one spends on growing the business versus running the business. And once we have that, then the next question became, how do we kind of continue to push that waste out? And for that, we said, we are going to have a product orientation. Now for, for that, we said, okay, we can change the, we will change the underlying budget. And this is where it is different where products are continuous, almost infinite. For example, if you take an example like a, uh, in any company, a financial services company, you will have a lending, say, origination capability. If you have a lending origination capability, it's always there. You're always demand for changing that, there's continuous improvement of that capability. So there will always be this continuous demand for software changes and software maintenance. In a traditional sense, Every time something like this comes up, we have either a project or a small project or some alternative ways to fund it. Instead of that, we said, don't worry about all that. What you need to worry about is to have a team that is focused on the product. It's a fixed team, but what you need to worry about is what is that team working on? And be fully transparent about it and make the decisions on delivering only the most essential items. And if that is what is happening, then the team will stay in, within the product team. The day the demand reduces or we do not have essential items to work on, the factory can be closed. So that's the whole idea. So what it does is it takes away this stress and burden of administrative work around managing budgets for these projects. We don't have as many statement of works or contracts that we used to have. Suppliers' behaviors have also changed along with this because this, this change is not just within TFS. We have a large portfolio of suppliers, they were also part of this change. And so they have also aligned to this change. So that's what is happening is that teams don't have to worry about the, the budgeting administration. It's happening at the macro level. What teams are worried about is building the product at, the, at a speed with the right quality and focus on those items that are producing highest value because those are the most essential items. Okay. We have another question about this. Does the digital factory model encompass the legacy platform teams and resources as well? For example, how do you handle mainframe or my old friend, the AS400? When I was first at Computer World at the, in the 1990s, I wrote about AS400. So how do you handle mainframe, AS400, and other custom legacy services in a true digital products team? Uh, great, great question. So the way, uh, way to think about this is again, uh, if, you, if you look at how the demand is managed through for the mainframe or for any legacy platform for that matter, and if there were no projects, the demand is still there, whether they're enhancements, they're fixes, or maybe some improvements, uh, additional improvements. And so the demand is still coming. And if there's a factory team that is dedicated, which is a dedicated team, to any of these legacy systems, which are part of the overall capability, then the, and the demand comes, it is managed like a factory in a continuous cycle. The cycles may be slightly different based on the systems. Not everyone or every system can respond to a weekly expectation or a bi-weekly expectation. So the, the speed or the cycle time may be different, but the idea of a factory team taking in the demand and applying the demand and building the software based on the demand in the right priority order still is relevant. And that's how we've defined those factories as well. So we do have factories that are focused on uh, legacy systems and legacy products. Oh, that's great. I, I know early on when everyone was writing a lot about agile and managing products, not projects, I had a lot of these kind of conversations with CIOs 
talking about the people that they had on their staff who had been with them longer and were managing still legacy resources. How did they make them feel part of the whole? And a lot of the practices that you use in an agile approach, the the frequent meetings and the updates and that sort of thing, you could apply a lot of that to legacy resources as well. You know, you didn't have to be working on the latest software engineering techniques to make everybody feel like a trusted part of the team. Yeah, and I think as I was saying, what is different about this approach is the only thing different is we have taken the idea of Agile and really taken it across the enterprise, across the business. Yeah. And yeah. this is the only way, in my view, again, I may be a little bit strong, I'm using these words a little bit strongly, but uh, this is the way for us to really drive this kind of a restructuring and getting to the new economics of IT with a different speed is to do it across the enterprise. This is not about one kind of system or one kind of department or certain kind of projects. If you're serious about it, if you really want to get the value out of this kind of a model, it has to be all in. Has to be all in. The entire enterprise. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. Um, I wanna use our last couple of minutes here. I think our audience is still absorbing what we've been talking about. So I don't have any other questions right now from them. So I'll slip in one of my own. I like to, I always like to wrap up these conversations with a few of your thoughts on, on leadership. On You have, um, obviously you're doing some very forward thinking, leading edge uh, work as the CIO at Toyota Financial Services. What sort of things have you learned over the years to inspire that trust and to uh, make the teams that work with you want to keep working with you? What, what do you think leaders, especially today, should be doing more and less of or what they should keep doing? Yeah, for, for me, I think um, driving a change like this needs um, uh, obviously a lot of trust uh, in what I'm doing as a leader and, and to kind of then multiply that trust across the organization. I think three uh, elements matter in my view. Uh, are, they really are important. Number one is be authentic about what we are trying to do. So authenticity and bring that authenticity to work. This is the passion that one has and this is what I care about. So bringing that authenticity to work is really important. Mm -hmm. The second uh, is the courage to challenge the status quo is really important. And the courage comes from the confidence and the confidence comes from actually knowing the topic, right? So the courage to drive the change and take everyone with you is important. And the third one, is really important, and I'm repeating this word, is empathy. Really understanding from other person's point of view. So if I'm in so-called an IT department and there's another department, say so-called the business unit, then we need to really understand how they are thinking about this, how my partner, my supplier, my uh, counterpart is really thinking about it and put yourself in those shoes to work backwards to solve the problem, not from my point of view, but their point of view. So I think this uh, being authentic, show courage, and be empathetic to me is uh, what makes a good leader. Well, I, uh, that's, that's an excellent answer. Thank you so much for that. And I, I truly agree. And as you say, it has nothing to do with specific business knowledge or which technology you're fondest of. It really has so much to do with that person-to-person that -person connection. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been a real pleasure talking with you today, Vipin. Thank you so much for sharing all of your thoughts about the incredible work that you're doing at Toyota Financial. It's been really, it's been great having you here. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Brian. If you are just, uh, if you've come in on the tail end of today's conversation, fear not. We will be posting this full video of my one-on-one uh, -on -one CIO Leadership Live uh, discussion and interview with Vipin Gupta, who is the CIO at Toyota Financial Services. He will, you'll be able to find this on CIO.com, on our YouTube Tech Talk channel, and probably for a couple of days also able to watch it here on LinkedIn, on our CIO online uh, channel on LinkedIn. Uh, my next CIO Leadership Live interview will be on Wednesday, September 2nd, when I will be joined again at noon Eastern 
by CIO Ian Law of San Francisco International Airport. And we will launch into a, I'm sure, similarly fascinating discussion about today's business strategy and innovation and all the things that are changing in the world of IT leadership. Thanks so much for tuning in today. And thanks again to my colleagues at CIO.com and especially at the CIO Executive Council for their support in making this happen at least twice a month for almost three years now. I believe this episode was number 50 in our lineup of Leadership Live interviews. So stay well and safe out there. Thanks so much for joining us today and we'll see you here next time. This podcast is produced by IDG Communications Incorporated.